This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hey there, and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Northeast podcast. We are on our 80th episode. This is the week of October 24th. I am Chris Skuse. With me, as always, is Emily Allegar. We are your host. Our topic today is a recap of the 2022 uh, pests that we saw in the Northeast. Emily, who is our guest? Thanks, Chris. Today, our guest is Mike Stanyard. Mike is the Regional Field Crop Specialist for Cornell Cooperative Extension's Northwest New York Dairy, Livestock, and Field Crops team. Mike, would you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about your background? You bet, Emily and Chris, and thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, so I'm not a native New Yorker. So uh, I, outside the state, uh, my degrees are in entomology from Purdue University. So I was a Hoosier for, for quite a few years out there, worked in Illinois, actually in agribusiness, a tech service rep, and then moved out here to, to New York, did the same for a chemical company, and then uh, switched over to Cornell Extension 23 years ago. And I didn't think I'd still be here for 23 years, but here I am and uh, love it here in New York. You guys have not been to Western New York and the Finger Lakes, you're missing something. Well, it sounds like a good gig if you've been there 23 years. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're happy to have your expertise on with us here today. Yes, welcome, Mike. I know that is a beautiful part of the country. You are absolutely right. And uh, we, we go vacation up there and I absolutely love it. So you are definitely in a great part of the country. So before we get to our main topic, we always like to start out with a section that we call the odd and unexplained. This is a section where we ask our guests to tell us about something they may have seen this past year that might be odd or a little bit different than typical. Mike, did you see anything like that out in the field for 2022? Yeah, there was a lot of things like that this year with the weather being the number one was odd and unexplained for us up here. But, you know, as a, as a pest management guy, something we're dealing with in alfalfa are pea aphids. And it's usually not something that's an economic pest for us. But in the past couple of years, we're taking sweeps and we're getting cups of pea aphids, you know, in, in 10 sweeps. And it's just something that's been very odd for us and kind of unexplained why we don't usually have, we usually have natural controls that take care of these aphids. And, and they're usually, again, not problems. But the last couple of years, and especially this year, it was bad. And it was even worse and, and, and amplified up because we had drought situations. Our alfalfa wasn't growing. And you have an insect that is pretty much sucking the, the life right out of the plant. And so this is something we have to look in further why we are having issues with P. aphids with a pest that usually is not economic and is currently economic. So we need to look a little deeper into this for, for 2023. Well, that's really interesting and great share. So now we'll move on to the section that we call the main topic, which is the recap of the 2022 pest that we saw. Um, but before we get into, into that, we kind of wanted to ask you a little bit more about what is the scope of your work? Yeah, so, so traditionally, I'm an agronomist, even though I'm an entomologist by training, and, and I love bugs. Um, I've been trained as, pretty much as an agronomist. So I'm working with, with farmers, I'm working with consultants and their growers, I'm working with all the industry people from seed to, you know, to, to machinery, um, mainly on extension topics. So I'm troubleshooting problems on the farm. I'm putting out resources weekly, what I call crop alert. 
that every Thursday on our blog, you know, I'm looking at what is out there, what I've seen, text messages, pictures, things I've got, and I put them into a weekly uh, chat on there so people can be very aware of what's going on right now. Uh, what do they need to be out scouting for, you know, at that at that week versus something that would come out monthly, which we do. So um, again, it's mainly extension things as well as, you know, a little bit of research. So I'm, you know, my main job is bringing research results from the faculty at Cornell, bringing them out to the community, to the grower community, uh, those results, but also doing my own research with growers side by side with them, as well as bringing some of these faculty out to my area and getting research done directly in my counties, because that's more pertinent to my, 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 my audience is what's going on right in, in their backyard. I'm a big proponent for extension. It's not just because I have family who work in it, but I think that extension is um, a great resource for our farmers um, across the U.S., but um, especially in the Northeast here, whether it's Cornell or Penn State or um, whoever have you. And I know in my my short stint up in New York, you were very helpful um, talking about, you know, some of the the diseases, pests, weeds, things that um, that you guys have been seeing. So it's it's nice to, you know, have industry and, and universities being able to work together um, across the state. So thank you for all that you're doing, Mike. Uh, we wanted to add, so going on to pests, and obviously this has been a weird year for us, I think, all over the Northeast, whether it was weather, or diseases, or what have you. Um, but we wanted to ask you in New York what you've been seeing for 2022 pests and if any of that should be a concern for our farmers in the Northeast. Yeah, so every every season I do a lot of pheromone trapping because we have a lot of uh, lepidopter pests like black cutworm, common armyworm, fall armyworm that uh, do not overwinter in our region. So every year we have new populations. So I do pheromone trapping to kind of see what's what do we what do we expect and what kind of populations and then from there I can kind of predict you know when they're going to be laying eggs when growers should be out looking for larvae uh, and this year black cutworm was huge for us we had tremendous flights that came in very early and so I was able to kind of predict that there are models out there and uh, you know say okay now we should be you know these guys are these larvae are at the right stage where we're going to see some feeding and corn and clipping you need to be out there right now boots on the ground um you know, and, and spray if you have to. So that was, that's important for us. So black cutworm was, from, from a corn standpoint, that was really the only pest that I saw. Um, that was an issue for us. Um, soybeans, again, it was dry for us. So slugs, usually we have a lot of no-till, reduced tillage, and slugs can be really bad. And this year, as we dried out, we just didn't have the slug issues that, that we normally do. So that was a good thing for some of our no-tillers. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're bad enough that guys are going, some of these no-tillers are now using vertical tillage because they've got to, to, to get that ground warmed up a little bit to get those soybeans out of the ground and, and a little bit at an advantage because they just sit there cold, we're done. We're, it's going to be a replant situation most of the time on no-till ground. So that was a good thing for us this year. But as we got dry, the good old spider mites were probably our number one pest this year. And... Uh, you know, I, I just dread when it gets dry like this and I see it happening. You know, the, the ditches are getting dry. They've mowed it for the last time and it's brown. And I just know we're going to have issues. And the problem this year was we couldn't tell if it was drought stress or spider mites. And, and it was 50-50 this year. Many guys said, Mike, you got to look at this field. This, this mites got to be horrible. And I couldn't find a mite. Uh, and others, it was so bad. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this may be a lost cause. 
So the, I would say spider mites was number one for us uh, in soybean. Um, and that's just because of the climate conditions. Uh, wheat, I'm a big wheat proponent. I love small grains. Uh, I've got a lot of guys I've been working with. We're doing high management wheat now. Getting, you know, guys getting up to 130, 130s uh, in some fields. And so I, I really like wheat. Uh, but Sierra leaf beetle was, uh, can be hit or miss every year. And that was one that was horrible this year. They got an early start because we had a warm spring. They overwinter as adults. They were all flying out early to the winter wheat because that's the only small grain out there. And boy, it got hit bad. We had a lot of guys, unfortunately, spring for Sierra leaf beetle. At the same time, they were doing some of the early fungicide work. And that, that was that was a problem. So those are my insects uh, that, that I felt were the, the, the tough ones this year. Um, you know, we can move into some diseases. Again, it was a dry year. So really diseases were not the issues they normally are for us. If they did come in, they came in very late. Things like a northern, you know, corn leaf spot, uh, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot, they really weren't an issue for us. And when they did come in late, they never really made it above the ear leaf. So that was great for us. We didn't, didn't have to deal with that. Uh, soybeans, the same thing. We didn't have anything all year, a little bit of stem canker, but we had some diseases moving late. You know, we had a warm, humid, wet September. And usually when that happens, we get a lot of pod and stem blight, cercospora come in, which causes your purple seed stain. So I had some horrible pictures come to me that they're like, what is going on here? And it was every different color you can imagine in a picture. From green bloaters to all the way to the purple, the black, then the white uh, seed decay from the phomopsis from the pot and stem blight. So we had some very colorful beans coming off early on some of this dry ground. And unfortunately, fortunately for us, that was a very small part of the, of the soybean harvest this year. And we're having some, some great yields come off. I run the state corn and soybean yield contest for the New York Corn and Soybean Growers Association. And we got some, for us, some fantastic soybeans coming off right now coming into me so i'm really pumped and these guys are too uh i'm not gonna throw any numbers out because i don't want anybody to hear them but uh we're, we're we could have a state record for us uh in the contest uh for, for for the first time so that's uh that's exciting for us um and again we're not seeing much bomb you know in wet years we see bomb in, in wheat our wheat has been very clean below one part per million vomitoxin so that's been great our quality's been the best it's been in a long time. So we weren't, you know, dealing with anything in there. And then right now the corn is coming off. We probably only got 15% of our corn or our grain off. And I'm not hearing any complaints yet of vomitoxin. And like I said, that's been a big issue for us uh, is, is high parts, you know, sometimes over 20 parts per million on vom in our corn. And that's, that's, that's tough to, to deal with. Um, so, oh. Yeah, that, that's, that's about it for diseases. Yeah, you, uh, you. There's a lot to to break out of what you said. Very good information there. So I have a couple follow up questions with that. Um, one, you, you started off uh, with the slugs and in, in the soybean part of thing, and said that's a, a normal problem, I guess I would say for you because of no till, and I think really the Northeast Pennsylvania and New York have have really. Uh, started no-till across the country and is is now spreading throughout the entire country more and more people are doing it, and there are a ton of benefits for no-tilling but as you mentioned slugs is one of the problems that becomes worse with no-till 
So what would you recommend as someone starting out no-till or even has been in no-till for a while and has slug pressure or is continuing to get more slug pressure as we prepare for 2023? Do you have any recommendations for best practices on that? Yeah, Chris, that is a really hard one for us because, you know, as you know, slugs are just they're difficult. You know, a lot of them overwinter. Some have, you know, overwinter's eggs. So we have multiple species. We have three species of slugs that, that we deal with. The number one is probably the great garden slug, which is probably what Pennsylvania deals with also. Um, but it's been, it's been a tough challenge for these guys. We don't really have sprays. We don't have a, a mollusk side spray that we can go out there and just, just nail them with. There's nothing really effective. The thing that's really, and it's costly, is metaldehyde baits have been probably the number one way that we've been going after slugs. Um, again, mm-hmm. it's going to cost you another $20 an acre but they're very effective. You, you just got to get them on there. Cause once we have a rain, they dissolve. So you got to get them on there um, in drier wet, you know, drier weather per se and, and go after them. But I got, you know, like I said you know, before, you know, we have guys now that just cannot beat them and they're going to some very light vertical tillage, just running really quick over the ground, inch and a half deep. And, and it's tough for these guys. Cause they feel like they're 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 breaking the law <laughs> you know a lot of these guys sure. it's, it's like a religion to them yeah and they feel really bad doing this that they're you know going against what they believe in but it's been the only way that they can get that ground that ground warmer just a slight bit to get that soybean out of this out of the slot and, and up and going ahead of the slugs yes last year we saw lots of super slug highways um in pennsylvania as we would call them the slug apocalypse was last year so luckily we didn't see too much of it this year but i don't know mike have you heard i've heard of guys saying you know go out at night spray nitrogen like well the slugs are out and active i don't know if that works but also like the price of that for this past year was not really economical um as an option but i've heard slug baits um but what are your what are your thoughts on that oh we've done all that nitrogen stuff yeah we've tried to burn the snot out of them at night and they just seem, they bubble up. It looks like they're dead. They start bubbling up and they have this slime just goes right and they just slide right out of that layer. It's amazing to watch them do it. But no, I would say nitrogen is a waste of time and money, especially with nitrogen at $1,000 a ton. You don't want to be wasting money doing that. But that has not shown to be effective uh, for us. One, one more question for you on the slug topic. Um, we have also had farmers put no-till sweeps of course you know it's easier to put that on on a corn planter right but a lot of growers are starting to plant beans in 15 inch rows or in the 30 inch rows uh, of their corn planter have you seen no-till sweeps on the front of that making them a little bit more aggressive and getting that fodder out of the way have you seen that be successful yeah some people say if you 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 have this it's almost like a, a zone till effect you know, removing this. And most of these no-tillers, you know, are dealing with residue. That's a problem for them. And that's the other thing that this vertical tillage kind of gets them away from is, is taking care of some of this corn residue, which doesn't seem to decay like it used to 20 years ago. It seems like it's hanging <laughs> around a lot more and becoming an issue. But uh, no, we have guys doing, you know, with with uh, different sweeps in the front, trying to do that, get that that zone out so that it can warm up a little bit. So we, we are guys, have guys doing that. Some people say the slugs won't cross that when well, they'll cross that, that, that zone, but it definitely helps, you know, getting that, that zone warmed up a little bit. We are seeing that.
I feel like I could talk about this all day because I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> um, we're only on our first question. Uh, but one one more question because I'm I'm curious about it. So spider mites you mentioned were a big issue because it was dry. And we'd seen a lot of that in Pennsylvania as well, um, around edges of fields and in, you know, bad cases throughout the field. So that's usually not, I guess, a too big of a concern for us to have to deal with. But in your opinion, since you are an entomologist, what is like the economic threshold for spider mites? And when you like actually need to do something about them and what are your options to do something about them? Yeah, that's what's difficult about spider mites. There is no established economic threshold for spider mites. It's more visual than anything else. And everybody's vision of what is bad and, and really bad is different. Uh, but in most cases, if I tell them that the plant is, is starting to wilt and we start to see yellow leaves, it's time to go. It's time to go. And the problem, you know, usually for us, usually starts on the edge. So we can kind of see it. We're driving down the road. We kind of see that first, usually around the telephone poles is when the first place you kind of see them where things start to wilt a little bit and you go out and check them. And if, you know, if you don't hit them quick, they'll start on the first windy day. And I've watched them. They all crawl to the top of the plant and they balloon. They send out a, a stream of silk and they glide out wherever the wind's going to take them. And that's how we get these pockets. That's these yellow pockets start to form out in the field. And once that happens, you know, people say, can I spot spray? I'm like, no, no, please do the whole field. I'd love for my PM approach. I would love for you to spot spray, but it's too late. You're going to go, you're going to spot spray the edge and you're going to have to go back in there next week and spray it again. So, and in most cases with mites, it's not a one shot and you're done deal. Uh, eggs are out there. Once the eggs get laid and you spray and kill the adults and nymphs, you're going to have another flush. So unfortunately, it's the pest that keeps on giving. That's a really good point that you bring up there. Is once you spray, you still need to go out there and scout because it's it's a very good chance that you're going to have to to go out there again. Very good information. So you have a lot of great information, and you mentioned earlier that you have a blog that you do uh, every Thursday. So where can farmers get that information about best practices and? Uh, what is going on in this this uh, year that they're in? Yes, yeah, so we keep uh, the blog. You can get the blog on our, our team webpage. And that's this, uh, this nwnyteam.cce.cornell.edu. And there's a link to the blog right there. Um, you can click that. And, you know, it comes out again. Usually every Thursday we'll have something new in there, whether it's programs that we do or, or my crop alert. And right now, it's there's nothing right now. There's nothing really going on but harvest. But yeah, during the season, usually we start in late April with the weekly blogs and usually go through September. Well, that would be useful information, you know, for anybody in Western New York, but also, um, you know, there's diseases that come to mind like tar spot or things like that, that, you know, would be moving um, around the area. So just to keep up you know, state-wise PA looking at New York stuff was, is not always a bad thing. Um, so Mike, question, should farmers be reporting what they're experiencing with some of these pests? If so, how or where should they be doing that? Um, coming to yourself or is there another resource just that they should be making folks aware of the situations that they're running into? Yeah, for me, I mean, absolutely. Uh, I love I mean, I love talking to, to, to growers. I could do it all day. Uh, I, you can see I'm probably going to be a little lengthy on this one. You guys might have to give me the hook occasionally, but um, I just enjoy it so much. And, I, you know, I absolutely, you know, folks up here, at least in my nine counties, know to send me 
I, I love, you know, texts and pictures and, and I, I need to know it's, it's a larger area, so I can't get to it all. So I need everyone's help to, to know what's going on so I can report accurate facts uh, and things to look for. So absolutely. I would, you know, here in New York, there's, uh, there's five regions that are like myself that divide it up and have one or two field crop specialists in it. So I would suggest, you know, to contact their local region, you know, Cornell regional team and uh, get that information to, to the field crop specialists in that region. And then a lot of times we'll report back to the faculty members what, what we're seeing and then bring them out that we have to, uh, to, to do further investigation. Yeah, that's good stuff. That communication lines is, is definitely, it not only helps you, um, but it also helps the other farmers um, be aware of, of what's going on in their area and, and what to look for. So I had one more follow-up question from, from your first talks that you said uh, you do the yield contests up there and you're seeing some great yields and that's exciting information. But just out of curiosity, and this is a complete opinion question as we're, we're going into harvest now, what are your thoughts around corn and soybean yields? Are they going to be average, below average, above average? What do you think there in your area? Yeah, I mean, uh, I looked at uh, USDA put out results here last week, what they thought, you know, the Northeast region was. They're putting us at 154 for corn. They're putting us at 50 bushels for soybean. Uh, as an average, that's probably going to be accurate based on we have some really bad zones. I had some guys doing corn the other day, and they were down to 30 bushel on corn wow. on some of these areas, these lighter soils. But yet I got somebody on the corn contest that just brought in a 241 yesterday. Yeah. So we have some really good areas. I don't think we'll see a 300 bushel in the contest this year. Um, but overall, I think, you know, there's, there's some really good corn out there. Guys are excited to dive into it here in the next, maybe this weekend. We're supposed to have some beautiful weather. Um, beans, you know, 50 bushel beans, that's probably... That's probably going to be correct. Most of the guys, you know, they're out here, at least in this area, we're, we're kind of in the garden area, Northwest New York. I consider that some of the better soils of the state and guys uh, are saying, they're, you know, mid sixties for averages out here uh, right now. And they're happy with that based on, on the season. So again, I, I think this, this region is probably going to see mid sixties more as an average. Um, and again, we have uh, some contests that have a nine in front of it. <laughs> so uh, Corn, again, I think we have some great corn out there, but you also have those spots, like I said, that, you know, that field may, you know, may average 80 bushel. But I think we have more good corn than bad corn this year, for sure. Well, that's good to hear. I will say that it's the same in, in where I am as well. It's kind of all over the board, it seems like this year, even more than normal. I would say, um, as far as how drastically different some of the yields can be in different areas. You talk to one farmer in a certain area uh, and they're having the best yields they've ever had. And then you talk to one that's only probably an hour and a half drive away from the one you just had a conversation with and they're having the worst yields they've seen in a long time. So it really has been spotty. And it's interesting to hear that it's spotty in your area as well. Even within fields, Chris, I mean, we, we have like over 500 different soil types in New York, literally. Yeah. And most of our fields have at least five different soil types, you know, and, and we, you know, there's a lot of gravel here. So you can see that, you know, the, the ridges and things just went dead on us. And yet down in the, the lower where the moisture pool looks fantastic. So, yeah, the variation even within field is going to be huge this year. 
I was going to say, Mike, you took the words right out of my mouth because I was going to follow up with that. Yeah, we were talking to the farmer earlier this week, actually two in one day, and they both said, you know, we've been within one field gone from 40 bushel and then get, you know, down to where it's a little wetter throughout the year and get up to 200 and then, you know, get back to 40. So yeah, even within fields, it's lots of variability. So Mike, one more question for you. So what are some of the positive advances or outcomes you've seen this year and that are coming in the future? Yeah, I mean, uh, we talked about some of these earlier, but you know, I'll start with a different one. The use of biologicals has really taken hold up here. I'm sure it's not just New York, but in this last year, some of these, these different organisms that are being put down, um, you know, increasing plant health and nutrition. And uh, that seems to be the wave of the, the future that we're going is these biological organisms down at planting uh, to help, you know, roots development and everything else. And so we, we had a lot of it this year. I'm really excited to see some of the trial results from some of these biologicals. And it seems like every company has one. Uh, we've done multiple trials up here with, with most of them. And that uh, I've seen some positive results from that. So I'm really excited to see where these biologicals uh, particularly in corn are, are going to go. And that's, that's, that's one of the things I see there. Some other things, some of these systemic fungicides at planting, you know, we have one in particular that, that been, was huge last year and, and we don't hear as much of it this year, but I, a lot of guys are using the biologicals in combination with some of these uh, fungicides at planting. And they're telling me, Hey, Mike, on a year like this, with dryness, I, I'm, I'm seeing huge improvements between my untreated checks. So we'll see what the combine says on these, but so I'm excited on some of those, you know, in the ground technologies at, 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 at planting. Um, vomitoxin in corn has just beat us up the last couple of years. And a lot of that occurs, you know, it, it's, it's environmental. So we have, if we have rainfall during silking is when it, when it occurs, you know, gibberella gets into the silk and, and we have problems that we see at, at harvest. So, you know, I think some of these new sprayers coming out that can actually get in there like 360 sprayer, get in and actually spray that zone of the ear, you know, cause we're trying to protect the silks and I'm not sure how much, you know, penetration we're getting for some of these high boy sprayers down to the ear level. So I'm excited about some of these technologies of applying exactly where we need it within that corn crop. Uh, and hopefully, you know, reduce some of these bomb levels across New York. I think you brought up some really great points again there. And one that really stood out to me was how you're doing the trials. There's a ton of new products out there and maybe farmers aren't sure about which one that's working and which one's not, but you and extension agents across the country are doing the trials to figure out which ones are working best for their farmers in that area. And I think that is great and really helps our growers out, really helps them pinpoint which one's going to give them ROI and work for them. So thank you for doing that. We really appreciate that. That is some exciting stuff. So Next, we're going to move on to the section of the podcast that we call the weekly watch out. This is a section where we ask our guests to tell us about something that our growers should be looking for. Mike, what do you think about that? Yeah, so for us, uh, tar spot is a new uh, you know, disease of corn that we actually identified in one county last year, one location, and it was something we've been watching hard this year, uh, weekly scouting fields around that area. and. I guess thankful for us, a dry season 
it, it did not it did not get started for us like we we expected it may and we saw that in indiana and iowa and illinois even into southern michigan and we just didn't see it uh we continue to watch we did find two new counties one in central new york and one all the way over on the pennsylvania border to the west uh this year we found them late and so i've been telling growers to continue i think it's it's out there you know it's we know it's out there in other spots and to continue to as you're going through harvest looking for the the black tar spots on these leaves uh, i put a lot of information out you know in in on this articles and things they they should know what they what to look for but it's something we need to continue to watch out for because that's the that's the quote unquote seed for next year you know that that organism on the on the residue will be the problems next year if the conditions are right so that's that would be my weekly watch right now is continue to watch for tar spot so we can better possibly manage it next year yeah i think that's a great point you know it's not really going to affect the the corn crop that they're harvesting or about to harvest but yet it gets you ahead of the game for next year if you know it's in those fields close by making sure that you know it's there so that next year you're aware of, of where you need to scout and and what you're looking for I think that's a great point and sets us up well for 2023 and getting ahead of some of those things that might possibly come in. Mike, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast. You're a wealth of knowledge and brought us great information today. And we really appreciate that. And I know our growers appreciate what you do up in Western New York and what uh, what you'll bring to to our other listeners from around uh, around the Northeast. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Appreciate being on anytime. You want me? Just give me a call. You got it. So thank you all for joining us today on the Pioneer Northeast Agronomy Podcast. If you have any questions regarding pests or disease, please contact your local extension office or your local Pioneer rep. And to get more information on corn diseases and pests, you can go to pioneer.com. We hope you enjoyed the conversation this week. And don't forget to search Pioneer Agronomy Northeast on your podcast app for more insights and solutions fueled by forward-thinking farming. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.